Pastor Xavier Reese talks about the stark reality of eternity without God. People just think they cease to exist. And that's a very comfortable concept. That, you know, you can live like the devil, rip people off, be a degenerate, and then you just, it's over. It's comforting only on this side of heaven. But the minute you die, you wake up to the reality of the horror of your all eternity. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Some people live day in and day out without regard for truth, good, or God. But the reality is, sooner or later, this life will pass. It's only then that many will understand that sin may last for a season, but judgment lasts for eternity. Today, as we continue our trek through the book of Revelation, Pastor Xavier brings us a warning about what's to come for those who have no regard for God. Revelation chapter 20, we're going to look from verse 1 all the way to chapter 21, verse 8. The message is entitled, The Eternal State. We have seen that the millennial age is literally a thousand years. The earth will go through a renovation, bringing about abundance of fullness and fruitfulness to the earth. The ferocity of nature and the animal kingdom will be reverted back to the pre-Adamic state. A child will lead a lion and play with a serpent. The nation of Israel will occupy the kingdom in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, and those who survive in the Great Tribulation who do not take the mark of the beast will repopulate it as they serve the Lord. Jesus will rule as king, priest, and prophet with supposedly and very possibly the vice regency of David and delegated authority to lesser ruling governments. And we've seen all this, and we've taken extra time to look at the millennial kingdom, what the Bible has to say about it, because so little is really shared over the pulpit at times, and people are so confused about it. Now, after the millennial kingdom, there is to be what's called the eternal state. But there must be a purging of three things prior to the eternal state. And that's what we want to look at so we see how it moves on from the millennial. First is the judgment of Satan. It has to take place. Second is the judgment of the unbeliever. And then thirdly is the judgment of the earth. Those three things take place for the eternal order to come in. We'll take them one at a time. Let's begin with the judgment of Satan. This is found in Revelations 20, verse 1 through 6. Now, notice in verse 1, Satan has been bound for a thousand years in this section. And in verse 1, the time is at the beginning of the millennium. It says, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. Then when? After the millennial. Having the keys of the bottomless pit and a great chain, and he is bound. He has his key in his hand. So chapter 20 describes the millennial kingdom, and here at the beginning, at the beginning of the millennial kingdom, this angel comes and takes Satan, and he's going to bind him, okay? The angel could be Michael. We don't know. We're not told at all. He has the key. He puts him in the bottom of the spit, the abuso which is a shaft in the earth, as we've seen, where demons are bound in chapter 9, verse uh, 1 and 2, and 
other areas in the book of Revelation. He's bound with a great chain under divine authority. The time, notice, is temporary. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of all, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Once again, it's literal, a thousand years. You can't spiritualize it, okay? The fourfold identification of Satan. Listen what he says. Dragon, destroyer. Then he speaks about the serpent deceiver. And then the devil accuser and Satan adversary. All these four identification marks are his. This is his character. The thousand years is literal, appearing six times between verse 1 and verse 7. You cannot spiritualize the millennial kingdom. Jesus reigns for a thousand years, Satan is bound for a thousand years. John goes out of his way to make that very, very, very clear. Now notice also, when you get to verse 3, that the time is to remove the devil's influence. That's what it's for. Because he clearly says there, and to cast him into the bottomless pit, and to shut him up, and to set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. Once again, thousand years. Satan will not control the nations. Satan will not deceive the nations. Satan will not accuse the nations. He is the God of this world, the prince and the power of the air. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Ephesians 2, 2. He runs this world. I don't know if you know that, but he does. Notice the time fulfilled results in his release. After the thousand years, but, here's the contrast, after these things, he must be released for a little while. This is at the end of the millennium. So in a, in a one great sweep, panoramic sweep, we get from the beginning when he is bound to the end of the thousand years when he's released. Okay? This is only for a short time that he's released. In verse 4 through 6, the tribulation saints beheaded for their faith lived and reigned with Christ during the millennium, being priests of God, and of Christ, the second death having no power of them, being blessed as being part of the first resurrection. And we'll touch this as we go along. But they did not accept the mark of the beast, so they are allowed to go into the kingdom for a thousand years, and they reign with Christ and with God. Okay? They repopulate the earth. Okay? And he just gives this note right here. So he gives all the stuff that's going on, and he outlines it from the beginning to the end. Now, when it comes to verse 7 to 9, Satan will lead his final rebellion because he's released. Verse 7, now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. And look at verse 8. And will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sands of the sea. Now, Gog and Magog is not the Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 38 and 39. That battle of Ezekiel takes place at the beginning of the tribulation period when the north region of Russia attacks Israel, okay? And God destroys those armies. This Gog and Magog is at the end of the thousand years. Context, 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 okay? Well, why are the same names used? Because Gog and Magog represent rebellion and hatred against God, opposition, Certainly these people will remember that battle, okay? Because many of them went in from the tribulation who didn't take the mark and are reigning with Christ. 
Remember that they repopulate the earth and they die, okay, during the thousand years. The number that follows Satan is as the sands of the sea. Not a few. The majority of them, really. Now look at verse 9. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So the place of attack is Jerusalem, the beloved city. And the plight of Satan and his followers is defeat as fire comes down from heaven to devour them. This should silence the sociologists and psychologists once and for all as they attempt to tell us that it's the environment that makes us bad. No, it's your heart that makes you bad. Jesus ruled with a rod of iron, perfect holiness, perfect righteousness, all temptation exteriorly has been bound. Satan has been bound for a thousand years. Then he's released. And what's the first thing people do? They follow Satan. Interesting. Jeremiah 79, the heart of man, deceitful, desperately wicked above all things. That's the problem. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, it's your heart that's in rebellion against God. It's your heart that will separate you from God, not the environment. Notice when you come to verse 10. Satan will be cast into the lake of fire then. Okay? So he's bound. He's released. Last rebellion. And he's going to be cast in the lake of fire. The place is the final abode of rebellious angels. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Jesus said the lake of fire was created for Satan and his angels in Matthew 25, 41. Not for any human being. And yet millions will be there. It's a place for rebellious angels. It's his own place. The tense, by the way, indicates it was and is already in existence, ready to be occupied. We don't know where the lake of fire is, but it is somewhere. Now, notice the place in verse 10 is the final abode of the Antichrist and the false prophet also, where the beast and the false prophet are. The beast is the Antichrist, and the false prophet was the PR man for the Antichrist. They both have been there for a thousand years already. So when Satan is bound at the beginning for a thousand years, the false prophet and the Antichrist are cast in the lake of fire. So they have been there already for a thousand years, all by themselves. <laughs> all right? Now the place is the final retribution for evil. Listen, listen. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Don't ever tell anybody that people will not be punished for all eternity. The Bible says they will. Right here, the context is the false prophet Antichrist, but we're going to get people later on, okay? Don't meddle with God's word. People want to say there's no hell. There's a hell. Oh, you cease to exist. No, you don't. The period is forever. Eon. The ages of ages, perpetually. You remember the uh, threats of Satan to God in Isaiah 14? God had the last word. Listen to him, because this is the fulfillment of it. God said, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit, Isaiah 14, 15. We have it right here in Revelation. He's bound and cast in the lake of fire. And so the judgment of Satan will take place before the eternal state. That has to take place. And it happens at the end of the thousand years. 
Secondly, you have the judgment of the unbeliever. Revelation 20 here, verse 11, down to 15. In verse 11, the particular event is called the white throne judgment. Underline it. It's very important. The white throne judgment is different and distinct from the Bema Seat of Christ for the Christian. The Bema Seat of Christ, as you know, is where Christians are rewarded for their service, their motives, why they did the things they did. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15 is one of them. There's many others. John says here, then he saw a great white throne and him who sat on it. The white throne is for the unbeliever. At the end of the thousand year reign, Christ recompenses them for their sins. All right? You don't want to be found in the white throne judgment. If you're in the white throne judgment, you're not a Christian. All right? Notice the one on the white throne is Jesus, the judge of all mankind. How do we know this? Because John 5.22 says, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Scripture interprets Scripture. We know it's Jesus. The white throne judgment also is the prelude before establishing the new heaven new earth. Look at verse 11 there, in the middle. From whose face the earth... And the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. So John is very, very critical. He wants us to note a timeline through every one of these revelations. Not all of the book of Revelation is in chronological order. But in this section, as we're dealing from 20 to 21, 22, he is interested that it is in a chronological order. He wants us to follow this. And this is one of the keys. The millennial kingdom was a renovation only, as you know, removing the curse from the ground and the fierceness of the animals, according to Isaiah 65, 25. Sin nature and sin was present during those thousand years. In man, death was still there. A child died at 100 years old, Isaiah 65, 20 says. In the eternal order, there will neither be sin nor death. So you must make that distinction. Now, when you get to verse 12 and 13, the particular event involves all who are ever living without Christ and who have rejected salvation. The persons are the dead, small, and great, beginning in verse 12. Small and great, meaning economically or social in stature. It, it doesn't make any difference. Whatever your position may be, if you're not a Christian, whether you have a lot of money in that day or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's not going to save you. All will be judged. God cannot respect any person. The position of the people, notice, is standing before God. People don't believe that today. Oh, you believe that you're going to have to go before and give an account for everything you ever did. Yes. <laughs> people just think they cease to exist. And that's a very comfortable concept. You know what I mean? That, you know, you can live like the devil, rip people off, be a degenerate, and then you just, poof, it's over. It's comforting only on this side of heaven. But the minute you die, you wake up to the reality of the horror of your all eternity. It's not true on that side. It's only true in your mind the permanent record of their lives is in books. Notice in verse 12, they're at the end, that were open. 
and another book was opened, which is the book of life. The books contain the works, the deeds, the sins. Nothing's omitted. Remember, our God's a Jew. He keeps good books. He'll miss nothing. The book of life is the register of the saved whose names are found in it. It's mentioned in Philippians 4, 3 and about 7, 8 times in the book of Revelation. You want your name to be in the book of life. That means you're saved. Notice the people are held accountable for their lives. The dead are judged according to the facts written in the books. According to the places that give up the dead in verse 13, the beginning, are identified. The sea gave up also the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in it. Death is the last enemy to be destroyed, Paul tells them, 1 Corinthians 15, 26, and we'll see that as we move along. Death will be cast in the lake of fire. Hades is a Greek word, as you know, which means a temporary place of the unseen departed, appearing 11 times in the New Testament. In the old King James, it is translated hell, and they all come from the words in the mouth of Jesus. It's translated grave one time in 1 Corinthians 15, 55. So Hades is the place of departed spirits, those who have died. The Old Testament equivalent to the word Hades is the word Sheol. And some of you know this already. It's the temporary place of the departed souls and spirits. And we were never told in the Old Testament that there was a separation. We just knew it was Sheol, the place of all who died, righteous and the wicked. No distinction was made. Though certainly that was understood, it wasn't revealed specifically about it in the Old Testament. We do get it in the New Testament, and we'll catch this as we move along by the words of Jesus. So he gives a commentary on the distinction, and we have to take his authority on it. Now, the word shield appears 65 times in the Old Testament. It's translated in the um, King James, grave 31 times, hell 31 times, and pit. Loaded word there, pit, three times, okay? We talk about hell, it gets powerful up here. <laughs> now the word is used prophetic of Christ in the psalm. Listen, you will not leave my soul in Sheol, or will you allow your Holy One to seek corruption? Psalm 1610. So the concept of Sheol is just a place of the departed spirit. It didn't really specify righteous or wicked, okay? It's just a general term. Now the people, notice, are said to be judged justly again another time, each one according to his works at the end of verse 13. John goes out of his way to emphasize these things. Don't, don't miss them. Don't think he's just trying to impress you with a fat book, okay? Uh, this is revelation. No one is compared to anyone else. No one is held responsible for anyone else's sins. If you're an unbeliever and you stand before God, you're not going to have to pay for the sins of your children or your fathers. You will pay for the sins that you brought upon others through your deeds, your actions, your words, but the person's choice to sin, you're not responsible for them. But your sins will be sufficient. Trust me. And you will not be compared to anybody else. Well, you know, you're better than him, so I'll let you slide. No. The standard is holiness in Christ. Notice verse 14 and 15. 
the particular event results in the casting in of three things into the lake of fire then. First, death is cast in. Verse 14a. Death is first mentioned by God, as you know, as he warned Adam and Eve about not eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, lest they die. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. The prohibition communicated clear consequences. Literally, dying you shall die. The reference of dying was spiritual death first. You will die spiritually. Where are you, Adam? The relationship is lost. Then ultimately, physical death. Cain was the first to notice this as he killed his brother Abel. Just seconds before he was speaking, talking, moving, boom, he's a shell now. He was the first to witness human death. He noticed he witnessed animal death by sacrifice, but his brother was the first witness of physical human death. He must have blown his mind. His brother, Abel, was a confirmation of God's proclamation you will die. Hades is the second thing to be cast in the lake of fire then. As explained earlier, Hades is the Greek word for that temporary place of the unseen for the departed spirits in the New Testament as well as the word shield of the Old Testament. Now, the lake of fires where they're cast in, the lake of fires where rebellious men and rebellious angels will be separated for all eternity. Gehenna, you're familiar with the phrase in the New Testament. Gehenna and the lake of fire are one and the same place. They're used synonymously. Gehenna is equivalent to the valley of Tophet that signified the place of burning, the worship of Moloch in the days of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 7, 31, 32. You've got it in Chronicles. You've got it in Kings. You've got it in many different places. Okay. Josiah cleansed the land, remember, of all that idolatry in the valley of Tophet, Gehenna. And uh, it also became the city dump. And Jesus made reference to this. It says, where the worm never dies, the fires never quench, and there's utter darkness and gnashing of teeth. You stop and think about it. The fire never dies or never quench, yet it's darkness. He's talking about the importance and the reality of hell. And Jesus spoke more about hell than heaven to warn people because it's a real place where people will spend. And when I speak hell, sometimes I'm speaking about the ultimate place, the lake of fire. It's just the way we use the term. Jesus refers to Gehenna 11 times out of the 12 that come from his mouth. 11 times. Death is identified and qualified for us. Notice in 14, this is the second death. The second death is the result of the second resurrection, eternal separation from God, being cast in the lake of fire. The first resurrection we touched on in verse 5 and 6 of the tribulation saints, they were part of the first resurrection. It involves the Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, and the tribulation saints. That's the first resurrection. All who believe in Christ Jesus will be raised first to be with Him, okay? The second resurrection is to be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death for all eternity. Christ is the first fruits, everyone else in their own order. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23. This is why in verse 6 of chapter 20, there is a blessing in the fifth beatitude here in Revelation. Because the second death does not affect the believer. 
eternal spiritual death. That's why the blessing. Blessed means happy. <laughs> There you have the reality of true happiness. You're with God. That's the blessing of believing in Christ. Pastor Xavier Reese reminds us that there's hope after death for the believer. Now, you can request a copy of today's message called The Eternal State. It's available for just $4 on CD. And make sure you pass it along to someone in your church or Bible study for their own encouragement. The title to ask for once again is The Eternal State. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make a request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please, don't forget to include the call letters of this station when you contact us. Pastor Xavier Reese reminds us about the torment that awaits those who refuse the grade of God. That's next time on Simple Truths. Hope to see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 